Welcome to another episode of the Balancing Hormones Naturally podcast, where we offer actions and steps you can take today to start balancing your hormones naturally. This is your podcast host, Leah Brueggemann. I am a functional diagnostic nutritional practitioner. I am honored and excited to be your guide on your journey to better understanding your hormonal health and how it affects your everyday life. Hey ladies, welcome back to another episode of the Balancing Hormones Naturally podcast. I think you win the award, Angie. Like I think this is you've been on the most. Um you and no, I think yeah, this is your third time. So you would be our most popular guest. Um I'm honored. But it just covers so many aspects. We have to talk about pelvic floor. So I did my um I did Killian's birth story, who's baby number 2. And I talked in there about my labor a little bit. And I was saying that I noticed such a difference between baby number one and baby number two in terms of my labor and my recovery um, with just everything. Like, we'll get into it more. And I got so many messages of people who are like, so what did you do? Because like I went to my pelvic floor therapist during pregnancy and they just, you know, had me do Kegels or they had me do these, they told me to like get into a squat when I wanted to give birth or they just told me to, you know, you know, do Kegels while I was doing lunges and all sorts of weird things. And I'm like, well, I didn't do any Kegels. (laughs) (laughs) I hate those. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I wanted to do kind of like a recap. So I wanted to share a little bit about the differences between my two labors. And I would love if you can kind of come in with the science of why that was the way it was. And then we can talk about um, what I specifically did during my pregnancy um, for such an awesome labor. Excellent. Yeah, I'd love to dive into that. Okay. Um, so some things I feel like, you know, just were completely out of like my control. Like with baby number one, I had an episiotomy, you know, you look back 2020 vision, um, would have not chosen to have that. And I didn't with Killian. So I know that probably paid, played part of a role in it, but with, um, Landon, I did, I feel like the typical things people tell you to do, like um, get into a squat while you're in labor, do lunges, do all those things. And during that pregnancy, I had done like the typical pelvic floor therapy route. Like I had done some core guides um, where it was, you know, not bad advice, but it was um, a lot of things where engage your TA. I don't even know what that stands yeah. for. I just know that's what they call it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Transverse abdominis. Um, yeah. So you're describing the typical kind of like standard of care textbook uh, PT. Um, yeah. And there there are positive things to doing those, um, those exercises. Um, however, they don't address everything that like truly needs to be addressed. They're just very... Uh, they're very superficial and often don't result in true, like big changes. So, yeah, um, that's what I definitely because I feel like I got halfway through my pregnancy and I was still lifting pretty heavy, um, and I started to every time I sneezed, I would having leaking, and I right. was just like, okay, maybe that's because baby is like sitting on my bladder or something. I just kept writing it off okay. as like, it's pregnancy. Yeah. Let's talk about that real quick. That's specifically because okay. that's an important topic. Um, and so many women think like, oh, I'm pregnant and I'm leaking. So this is part of pregnancy. It's a normal thing. Go on yeah. with life. Right. If you are leaking, that is an indication that your pelvic floor is in an extremely vulnerable position and is getting injured. Yeah. So something needs to change. So when, if you're experiencing continence, you do need to take a really deep dive into 
your daily posture and breathing mechanics, your, your lifting techniques, how much you're mm-hmm. lifting. And then you also need to look at how much, um, like what is your exercise and, and what's your daily activity like? So mm-hmm. you might need to take a step back during pregnancy, which is, um, difficult for active, busy moms a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, he was my first kid too. So it wasn't like I had anything to kind of compare it to. I was just like, you hear stories, this is pregnancy. Like it's just, it is what it is. And I even, now that I know the difference, like back then when I was lifting too, I would definitely do the breathe into your belly before, you know, you do the squat, which now I know that like is putting my pelvic floor in a weakened state. Um, so I just unknowingly, I was doing like everything wrong, but it's so tricky because when I learned better and I would do any type of like YouTube workout, I would have to reverse <laughs> everything they said about breathing when I would do an exercise because that's just like a thing that seems to be in prenatal video- videos, which again, none of these instructors are even pelvic floor therapists. Some of them are, but right. they're always like, breathe into your stomach and then breathe out as you do your squat. And I'm like, well, I know that's not a good idea to do. So, right. um, Could we talk about that really quick just in terms of like working out? Absolutely. Yeah. That's another really important point. So um, even – okay, whether the information is coming from a prenatal exercise instructor or a pelvic floor physical therapist, it still should be questioned because a pelvic floor therapist actually say that too who are Mm -hmm. not necessarily trained in the most up-to-date methods. Yeah. When you are, well, let me just defend this position a little bit because it does have some truth to it. Um, The reason they tell you to breathe into your belly is Mm -hmm. to relax your pelvic floor. and, And their idea is to get it to a point where you know, go all the way down and then re-engage during the exercise. So they're thinking Mm -hmm. of more along the lines of like the voluntary activation of your pelvic floor muscles. Um, Unfortunately, this doesn't necessarily work because your your pelvic floor muscles are primarily involuntary. And so Mm -hmm. the way, the best way to activate them to support your uterus during pregnancy and really to support your body during an exercise is to elicit a reflex that triggers their activation. Um, Number two point that's very important, besides triggering a reflex for pelvic floor activation, is that the best pelvic floor activation occurs when the pelvic floor muscle is unloaded. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that means it's the, the organs above it, uterus, bowel, bladder, are lifted up. When the pelvic floor has like a little extra space, its reflexive activation is going to be so much better because all the nerve flow and blood flow, it will literally have more room to receive Mm -hmm. the nerve inputs and the blood flow it needs for a full range of motion contraction. So during exercise, during pregnancy, and this is is true postpartum too. Um, This is true prepartum. (laughs) I talk about this to um, elite male athletes. So it's not even mm-hmm. like just a female pregnancy thing, but it is extremely important in female pregnancy because that's when um, our bodies are the most vulnerable to injury. And then also in the postpartum phase. So ex- breathing with exercise during pregnancy, you want to direct your inhales into your rib cage and not your belly. And a lot of times when I talk about rib breathing, I get some pushback from people saying, mm-hmm. um, no, that's shallow breathing. Like, no, that would elicit hyperventilation. Um, yeah. You know, and there's a lot of pushback because belly breathing is so trendy um, and cued so mm-hmm. often. It's like overused yeah. and it's overused by people who don't understand the mechanics and relationship between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. 
and people who don't understand the pressure system of the core. So when you breathe into your belly, your diaphragm moves down. Your diaphragm will then moving down because air is coming into your rib cage. Diaphragm moves down. All of your organs move down as well and pressurize your pelvic floor. So now if you're trying to do a voluntary contraction after a belly breath, you're going against a lot of resistance and you're only activating the voluntary muscle fibers, which is 20% of -hmm. that whole muscle. So what, so what that leads to is increased pressure in the abdomen and the pelvis and the spine, increased pressure, compression, which you're already getting in like extensive increasing amounts in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, because of the increased pressure, you're loading the fascia instead of the muscle. And the muscle is, is actually more prone to, to getting into a spasm, which means it gets locked in a contraction. And then mm-hmm. the load continues to just be absorbed by the fascia instead of the muscle. So that's what happens when you belly breathe during exercise during pregnancy. If you bring your inhales into your rib cage, and when I mean that, I don't mean, you know, the the shoulder breathing, the breathing into the upper lungs. Actually, yeah. breathing into your lower ribs first and then filling the rib cage from the bottom to, t- to the top and filling it in like a three-dimensional, 360 fashion, lateral and front to back from bottom to top results in a lifting and opening of the diaphragm, a big expansion of the rib cage. When those two things happen, the pelvic organs lift Mm because it's all connected through fascia. So if like the, the, the diaphragm lifts and opens that because all the pelvic organs are connected to that fascia, they're going to lift off the pelvic floor during that inhale and the pressure will decrease. And then you exhale as you elongate your spine or grow through the crown of the head to get a further pressure release and then a involuntary pelvic floor muscle activation, which typically occurs on the exhale. And I, and this is where I think people are like, oh, I do like a hundred Kegels a day and it never worked. And that's because they're probably getting locked in that pelvic spasm. And it's like, trying to tighten it voluntarily isn't fixing it, right? Exactly. Exactly. So Kegels are isolating, are isolating one piece of the whole picture. If you isolate any part of the body, you're not going to get like a functional response and rehab. And Mm -hmm. in no part of our life do we only use one single muscle. We use our muscles in conjunction. So you you have to train the pelvic floor with other muscles simultaneously. And Mm -hmm. 99% of people with pelvic floor dysfunction symptoms um, have pelvic floor muscle spasm which means that pelvic floor is locked in a contraction. It's stuck in a Kegel. And so we need to unkegel it in order to get it to move through its full range of motion again. So oftentimes Kegels are are not helpful. And as you know, I don't even teach clients to do them um, unless – you know, the situation calls for it, which would be like indications of like a very lax pelvic floor, which is actually extremely rare. And the cool thing is, is because the pelvic floor is primarily involuntary muscle fibers, if you just unload it and trigger reflexes, you're going to get a complete rehabilitation and full strengthening of the pelvic floor without even thinking about it. It will just happen automatically. Yeah. I never did a plank or a crunch or a Kegel. (laughs) I didn't do any of those things. Um, So I 
I don't know if this just could be my personal theory, but because I didn't do any of this during my first pregnancy. And I got, I don't know, probably to my third trimester and I was having um, leaking issues when I would sneeze or when I would do certain exercises. And I remember I like just reached the stage where I would stand up and I just like felt like someone punched me in my pubic bone. Like I just had to like stand and breathe. I was like, I cannot even walk. It would take like at least 30 seconds and then like hobble and then I would be able to walk. And that was happening like way too often. Um, and, um, thankfully, um, Seb had given me some like glute exercises that made it bearable at that point, but, um, not anything that fixed it. And so in my personal theory brain, I'm like, okay. So I wonder if like I was stuck in that spasm, And I wasn't able to relax enough, like I didn't have enough cushion. And I wonder if that probably could have led me towards having to get an episiotomy opposed to like baby two. I did have like that control and able to relax the pelvic floor. So I didn't have an episiotomy. I don't know. What do you think? Yes, I absolutely agree with that theory. Absolutely. Um. In in your in your specific case, I I get a little nervous about making like huge generalizations because yeah. we know that um, every labor is so different and yeah. position of the baby comes into play, the environment the mom is in, how relaxed she is, like other factors of stress or you know, there's so many things that comes into play that leads to the pelvic floor muscles not being able to relax and then a tearing or episiotomy, you know, is the intervention that's necessary. Um, it can also just simply be like you have a really big baby and you have a smaller pelvic floor. Like, yeah. you know, so it's not like a, a broad generalization. We have to like keep in mind this is like a complex <laughs> situation we're looking at with so many yeah. different factors. Um, but yeah, I agree with you in, in your particular case, the fact that during your first pregnancy, you're, you didn't have a tool to relieve the, the chronic increasing pressure on your pelvic floor over the course of 10 months. And so it got really, really tight. Yeah. And then during labor and delivery, you know, it, you, that muscle just didn't have its range of motion and, and it was unable to relax. And then mm-hmm. second pregnancy and delivery, you were, you, you were very regular and super consistent with your exercises that unloaded your pelvic floor and lifted your uterus. And you were also simultaneously doing belly breathing and relaxation mm-hmm. exercises as well. And I'll just, uh, make an important note about this belly breathing. Belly breathing is extremely important in pregnancy. You just don't do it while you exercise. Okay. So you lay down on your side and you belly breathe on your side. And then as you get into, you know, mid to late third trimester, then you start belly breathing against gravity in like a sitting position or, um, or a standing position or a squatting position to prepare, to bring baby down and prepare for delivery. But to belly breathe during exercise is, is going against the mechanics that the, you know, muscle biomechanics we want to occur during, during exercise. So, um, yeah. So the combination of doing active unloading of the pelvic floor and reflexive activation through exercise coupled with you know, separate, lay down on your side and really relax your whole body and focus on relaxing your pelvic floor, like absolutely set you up for an incredible, smooth delivery with no, you know, no complications for your pelvic floor, which is like so amazing. And a lot of women who've had an episiotomy first, um, you know, first delivery typically have another, uh, maybe a tear 
or like need another intervention on their second delivery because the, you know, that scar tissue isn't quite as strong. So the fact that like you even overcame that is really exciting and just a testament to how um, consistent you were with your, with your, um, you know, your, your self-care and your, your exercises. Yeah. I, I even thought like my first labor, I thought it wasn't bad and it wasn't like it for a first labor. Like I had a great first labor. Um, and he, I didn't think that he took super long to come. But then when I had my second labor, I was just like, whoa, (laughs) so different. And I didn't even think number one was bad. Um, but just the the most massive difference ever. Like, I mean, heading into this, the second one, I was emotionally ready to have the baby. I was like, I am so done. But I was still, wa- I was walking. Like the day I had him that morning, I walked over two miles. Um, That's awesome. And I'd been doing that that whole whole week. I didn't have, you know, any pain in my pelvic floor. Um anything like that. And I remember telling you it was really hard. Like halfway through my pregnancy, I had to stop like lifting heavy, but that just like, you're like, it's okay. And it was so hard. I'm like, I don't want to lose all my muscles, but I could tell I was losing control over my pelvic floor because we had only been working together, I think, maybe four weeks before I got pregnant. So I didn't have, you know, a ton of time to, like, get really, really strong before I got pregnant. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, maybe in the future I could continue longer. But I had to, like, get off my ego and I went to really, really just, like, 5, 10 pounds or even, like, body weight and walking And I just did my breathing exercises. And, oh, I did the glute workouts from your program. Yes. Which were amazing because I, if I'm doing anything that's not weightlifting, I like to watch a video and I like to hear the correct cues. Right. (laughs) And I was telling you, I was so frustrated because every time I did a workout video on YouTube, they were giving incorrect cues. And so then I'm like, this is dumb. (laughs) I have to mute you anyway because I want to make sure I'm breathing correctly. So I would do those three times per week. So I did three per week and then I would do my breathing exercises. And like I said, I was walking right up to my um, labor. I didn't have any pubic bone pain, like no nothing like feeling like I was getting punched in the gut or um, anything like that. And then, um, yeah, when I, I, we got to the hospital and, and by the time it was so short, it was just so short. And I was just doing my exercises that I knew I was supposed to do to help um, bring baby down, which I think was huge because by the time I was 10 centimeters, he was there. Like literally I went from eight to baby being out in like five minutes because (laughs) by the time I was 10 centimeters, he was down and ready. Thank heavens for like all of that um, breathing and uh, core work to get him down there, which was awesome. Yes. So um, yeah, a couple things on that. Just thinking of like the science, like what was happening at the muscular level during your experience leading up to delivery um, and being able to like walk two miles and not having bone pain and all of that, <clears throat> your your so I'm thinking of okay your rib cage muscles, your intercostal muscles, your diaphragm, your abdominal muscles, your spinal muscles, and your pelvic floor. Those muscles, those important core muscles, were all synced up. And with every inhale and exhale you took throughout your day, they would depressurize your pelvic floor and lift your uterus a little bit. So you're, that became like automatic for you. And that's why you didn't have pubic bone pain. And then mm-hmm. you listened to your body when it was giving you signs that it was getting too pressurized and it didn't have the strength to unpressurize you. And so... Mm-hmm. Then you, you know, you took a step back, you modified a little bit. 
um, and you continued with the with the protocol. And so that set you up with a core system that worked in a way that would reflexively, without you having to think about it, lift your growing uterus off of your mm-hmm. pelvic floor with each inhale and each exhale. Then another interesting thing to just kind of note is um, uterine contractions, right? The uterus is a muscle, as we know, that, and, and the uterus is a muscle that is 100% involuntary muscle fibers, just like our heart is, you know, involuntary muscle fibers. So uterine contractions are coupled with the lifting of the uterus. So hypopressive training, which we did during, pregnant, mm-hmm. during your pregnancy, um, when you do that training, your uterus lifts. And strengthening the lifting action of the uterus also strengthens her contraction action. Okay. And so now you're going into labor with a stronger uterus muscle. That makes sense. The other thing that made your uterus as a muscle stronger is the position of her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you go into pregnancy with a uterus that is tilted to the left, and maybe this Mm -hmm. is associated with left SI joint and left hip pain, or you maybe have your left knee and ankle, or it's so many manifestations, Um, then, and you don't really do much for that, then she's going to stay over on that left side your whole pregnancy and your delivery. Yeah. And then if if she's kind of tilted a little bit and compressed, her contractions won't be as strong during delivery. Yeah. And so okay. If you have if you're if you're implementing a practice throughout your pregnancy that is centering to your uterus and lifting, you're mm-hmm. you're strengthening her contractions for delivery. And then okay simultaneously you're training your ability to relax your pelvic floor and open. Um, and you, you know, so that coupled with allowing your uterus to do all the work is, Mm -hmm. is the key. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of people ask me like, how do I breathe during labor? Or like, how do I push? You know, and I think that there's a misconception that um, that there's this like kind of maybe complex, magical way to like breathe and contract your abs so that like during delivery, right? Like I think mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a misconception there, um, and I just want to clear that up that it's like actually so simple. <laughs> it's yeah. actually so simple. All you have to do is implement the protocol that you did, Leah, through your pregnancy, yeah. which is just getting your pelvic floor and your core to reflexively function how it should and lift mm-hmm. your uterus. Then simultaneously practice relaxing your pelvic floor. When it's game time and you're you're in labor, all you got to do is belly breathe and relax. And let the mm-hmm. uterus do her thing and just, yeah. just relax as much as you can. Um, I mean, I'm saying mm-hmm. this is simple. It's it's not like simple when <laughs> you're doing it, but it's not this complex thing that like you have to remember yeah. this like, specific breath pattern and this like certain way to contract. No. All you're really doing is relaxing your body so mm-hmm. that your uterus can can be fully oxygenated and there's no energy going to any other muscle in your body so that your uterus gets all of the energy and then you're just surrendering into that and belly breathing and mm-hmm. and letting your body take over. Yeah. So. I even, so there was one part I remember where I was like, okay, I'm having SI joint pain and it's not staying in, even if I would get it popped in. And that's when you were like, oh, you had me do some exercise to help balance something. (laughs) Something with, was it my glutes? I don't even remember. I just remember 
every morning I had to do like five sets of this like um, stepping kick thing. But like, I mean, no more SI joint pain um, because we were talking about it. We were thinking he was sitting on that on one part of my hip, like I was slightly tilted. So we just kind of like moved him back over. Right. Um, yeah. So that was work really was focused. Um, that was like focused uh, glute work. And what we needed to do was uh, fire up your gluteus medius muscle, which are the lateral glutes on the side of your hips that stabilize your pelvis. And often um, those get those get weakened due to overuse. Actually, during the end stages of pregnancy, um, those muscles can develop a lot of trigger points in them, which which then kind mm-hmm. of like weakens them. And yeah, especially even if, you know, you're doing your hypos and your uterus is like, you're constantly trying to center her. I mean, at that end point, if the baby is like, I like my head over here and my feet up here, (laughs) it's just you're going to have a little bit of this like torque going on. So incorporating that specific glute training is um, is really important. And that's um, yeah, that that lateral glute work, which you can get through like, yeah, the sideways leg kicks Mm -hmm. and um, kind of like specific like marching exercises combined with yeah. squatting and um, some lunges uh, can be can be helpful for correcting the SI joint problems. Yeah. yeah. We're going to take a quick moment for today's sponsor. Seed cycling is such an easy hack to support the rise and fall of your hormones. And let me tell you why. They are rich in zinc, selenium, magnesium, vitamin E, soluble fiber, omega-3, and lignans. These are all necessary nutrients that your hormones need to function optimally. Now, obviously, please don't eat these seeds if you're allergic to them, but if you aren't allergic to them, seed cycling can be such an easy hack and part of your puzzle piece to add to your life to help support your hormone balance journey. You want to give it a minimum of three cycles in order to see a difference because remember, you have that 90-day follicle journey. So from the start of that follicle to when it releases the egg is 90 days. So what you're doing right now is going to direct impact your period three months from now right or three cycles from now so you do want to stay consistent but i bet if you add this in to all the other amazing things that you're already doing you are going to really really love it so remember seed cycling is one tablespoon of pumpkin and flax seeds from your period to ovulation every single day whole organic seeds and then grind them before eating them because you don't want them to go rancid and then from ovulation to period you're going to do one tablespoon of sesame and one tablespoon of sunflower every single day remember buy whole organic and then grind before eating if you have no cycle cycle with the moon you guys so the new moon start your pumpkin and flax seeds and then the full moon start your sesame and sunflower seeds now you guys i use funkit wellness seed cycling subscription because i don't run out of my seeds and they also taste better than the ones at the store so Funkit Wellness uses B Corp organic certified seeds and they are ground right before they send them to you and they're in um, dark colored bags so light doesn't get through so they won't go rancid because ground seeds can go rancid pretty fast so that's why you don't want to buy them ground at the store. They're ground right before they're sent to you so you don't have to worry about them going rancid. They taste amazing and you guys not having to grind your seeds every single day has been the most life-changing thing for me being consistent with my seed cycling. So go to Fungit Wellness you guys do the subscription. You can cancel if you don't want to stick with it, but like do the subscription because you get free shipping. Who doesn't want free shipping? And you'll get a discount and then use the code Leah15. You'll get an extra discount, making seed cycling extremely affordable. And I know some women like have the labor that I just described for their like their babies and they're like, I didn't do anything, but I know specifically that the core work that I did was the difference because I have had a different pregnancy in labor. Like you would think like your first pregnancy would be the best pregnancy in terms of like physical strength, but mine was not like, it was definitely my second one. And 
I, I mean, my husband will even attest to this. So after my first baby, Hey, I was, I had been awake for 40 hours by the time I had him. (laughs) So I was just wiped, like physically wiped, but my whole body felt like it had ran 25,000 marathons. Like my neck muscles hurt, my shoulders hurt, everything hurt. And every time I stood up, I felt like (laughs) you would involuntarily put your hand to your stomach because you're like, I think my organs are going to fall out. You know, you just feel like everything is floating very weird. Um, I couldn't sit up by myself. Like I couldn't even pull myself up like Seb would have to help me. And this I think could have been just really long labor. Um, it, I mean, the labor wasn't that long. It was just the timing of when I went into labor. I was up for so long. And then I remember they, you know, they would do the classic, like, okay, here comes your contraction push and all of that. And I, I mean, I, I didn't push very long. It was under 10, 15 minutes, I think. So Still not a bad first labor, but like I felt like I'd been through battle, which you kind of have. Um, (laughs) And that whole week I couldn't – I Seb had to help me up, sit up. Like every time I had to sit up and I was holding the baby, like I couldn't do it. Like it wasn't just like, oh, this is so hard. It was like physically incapable of sitting up. And when I started working out, which was – probably 8, 10, 12 weeks. It was very far after because it took forever for me to stop bleeding um, and not feel so sore and swollen. I mean, you like if I did any exercise, you could probably blow on me and I would have fallen over. I was just like, I have no strength. And it was just so disheartening. And second baby, I didn't push like mentally. It was just like, I was just like, okay, he's coming. And they're like, no, no, he's not. Cause they had just checked me and I'd been eight centimeters. And I was like, no, 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 he's coming. My body is pushing. And they checked. They're like, oh my gosh, he is coming. Get the doctor in here. And I, Seb says that he remembers the doctor telling me one time to push, but like, I never voluntarily pushed. My body was just like, we know yeah, what we are doing. And I like shorter labor, but what hurt afterwards was like, obviously you just pushed a baby out. So that hurt. But like the rest of my body was fine. Like I didn't feel like I had, you know, run marathons, like my, my neck muscles and my jaw and my arms and like none of that was sore, which was very nice. Um, I stood up and I was like fully ready for this feeling. I was like, it's going to happen. It's the worst feeling when you feel like your organs are going to fall out of you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I can walk. I, my organs are fine. They're all where they're supposed to be. So that was amazing. And literally, I mean, I could hold Killian just fine. I didn't feel like I wasn't going to be able to support him. I could sit up. Obviously, I did so safely and everything, but I could sit up just fine. Um, I stopped bleeding way sooner with Killian. And then I started doing my breathing exercises literally the day um, after I had him. I was just doing them laying down. I would do some to help center everything. And I started doing gentle workouts and I think we're at, so how old's Killian? We're at four months. So Killian's four months. And that's about when I start started working out with Landon. So okay. like just wild. I've been right. working out for two months and like my strength is like here. Like I, I'm doing all of my like squats, bench, all of that with no issues with my pelvic floor whatsoever. And um, the biggest just like mind-blowing thing. So this is completely cosmetic, guys. But like baby number two, everyone's like, oh, it's like harder to go back after baby number two or baby number three. I don't know. But baby number two, Killian, my waistline at like what, four weeks postpartum, I think, looked better than it did with Landon at 12 weeks postpartum. 
I have pictures. Like, I'm not going to share those to the internet. But, like, I literally have, like, see the difference, which is mind-blowing to me. Like, (laughs) second baby, but my weight loss is smaller. I mean, it was awesome. But, yeah. Our bodies are incredible. And all they need is it's the right input. It's that's all mm-hmm. it, it's, it's just if we if we give our bodies the right input and put function first. This is key. Function first. The aesthetics are a really awesome bonus. The aesthetics yeah. actually follow function. But you have to approach it from function first and then aesthetics. I think that that is kind of a a limiting factor of a lot of postpartum workout programs and Mm -hmm. mindsets and cultural Mm -hmm. mindset is like we approach it from like I want to get, you know, I want to shrink my waistline ASAP. And Mm -hmm. when you think about it in this kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. Like aggressive, limited, uh, restricting way and not like a nurturing, caring, like let's make my, let's like do function first. Um, (laughs) you just, you don't get the results. So, um, but the fact that you had those results is like, is tells me that your core was functioning properly, like so much quicker. And it also tells (laughs) me that like, we really accessed the, it's called the autonomic nervous system, the involuntary side of the nervous system, um, which is what controls 80% of your core muscles. So mm-hmm. um, we successfully did that through the breath practice. And that's also what led you to be able to relax all your muscles during labor. So, mm-hmm. um, you, you being so incredibly sore, your first labor, like whole body, like you were, yeah. you were run over by a truck. You couldn't stand, you couldn't hold your baby. Like, like every muscle was maximally contracted mm-hmm. repeatedly for 40 hours. And your, your body was taking up all the energy, like your, uh, and your uterus your uterus mm-hmm. is part of your body, but like the, the rest of your body besides your uterus was taking up all of your energy. And so your uterus had mm-hmm. less energy and less oxygen to do her thing. Labor lasted longer. You got super sore. It was like you were fighting yourself, but you didn't know how to mm-hmm. not. Um, yeah. So then during your, you know, your second pregnancy, we used like breath training is like everything. That's like our primary mm-hmm. thing we do. And when you, the specific breath patterns we use in, in hypopressive training, where you inhale through your nose into your lower rib cage to expand it, that's calming to the nervous system. And then mm-hmm. when you exhale twice as long, three times as long, four times as long as you inhale, Staying in exhale lowers your heart rate, lowers your blood pressure, puts you into this like calm state. And Mm -hmm. just doing that breath training will result in you being able to relax under a stressful condition, whether that stress Mm -hmm. is mental, emotional, or physical, it, it will transfer. So that makes sense. And it's just, it's just wild to me because like, I didn't even think I had a bad first labor. Like I didn't, I mean, it was, I was up for so long because he decided to um, go into labor at 1130 PM. (laughs) So like I had already been up for the entire day. Um, And then I didn't have him till two in the afternoon the next day. Killian decided to do the same thing. I went into labor at nighttime. So I had been up all day, but I had him at 645 that morning <laughs> instead of like being in labor for like an extra, I don't know, right. eight hours. Right. Um, 
So it's just, I mean, I just want everybody to experience that because I, after Landon, it wasn't even a bad labor. It was, it was a good labor. Nothing traumatic happened. You know, baby mom, everybody was healthy and I loved my labor and delivery team, but I was just like, oh my goodness, that was so hard. It was so hard. And I'm like, I am terrified to do that again. Labor is really hard. I'm still terrified to do it again. But <laughs> I felt more optimistic and so much more hopeful because I was like, wow, that was so much better. It was so much better. Yeah. And that was just preparing four weeks before this pregnancy and all through my next pregnancy. And so now I'm like, dang, I got these tools for my life now, which is <laughs> incredible. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. And you know, a, another thing that, you know, makes me think um, about it's it's mindset, too. Um, and it's it's challenging to have a positive mindset going into your second delivery if your first one was really difficult. Mm-hmm. So um, even more important to have these tools to improve you know, your confidence going into it. Um, And even, even if it's not like a lot of like mental training or anything, if your Mm. body is physically, you know, stronger in, in the, in the right ways, and you've been consistent about that, like self care and that protocol throughout your pregnancy, you're just, that's going to help your mindset. That's going to help your perception, like going into it, which is a, a giant, giant factor of the outcome. Like our perception of what it's going to be like is huge when it, when it comes mm-hmm. to like your actual experience. Yeah. Which I mean, every, I know standard care. I remember asking my OB from Landon's like, oh, you know, should I get pelvic floor therapy? Just asking at my six-week check And they're like, well, do you have any issues? Like, otherwise, just come back in six months and we'll see what's going on. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but uh. with Killian, it was a meet, like all through my pregnancy. And as soon as I had him, because I knew better. And I think that that's why I want to spread this because I'm like, you guys, it I mean, it was just a life-changing, different postpartum experience. Like, I wish I could gift that to everybody. When you feel, you know, like you're just not going to fall over. You don't feel so weak. Like, I mean, it's so, so nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. Like, thank you for spreading this word. I want to share that too. That's, it's so important because... West, like standard of care, Western medicine currently is, is not caught up to this possibility and mm-hmm. does not, I mean, really our medical system as a whole does not allow for any emphasis in preventative medicine, holistic medicine. They don't look at the mind body connection and it's like, it's so limited. So they only treat you if you have a problem and they don't even know how to identify all the problems. So, mm-hmm. um, like they don't, what's a precursor? What's a sign to this problem? Like what's a sign of pelvic floor dysfunction? What's a sign that like, this is your back pain is going to worsen over time. You know, all those predictive factors are not even part of their protocol in looking at a, a patient. So it is um, like we are living in a time where you have to be, you have to self-educate yourself. Um, yeah. You, you have to and you go have to above educate. and beyond what's recommended by your provider. Typically, there's a lot of like incredible holistic providers, which I think you had a really amazing OB this time. Um, I did. As well. I really did. But um, yeah, <laughs> hopefully made, we'll, we'll which change Which made the difference. Yeah. Um, which 
speaking of that, so let's, can we talk a little bit about like how people can access the program? Because I did, so I did both. I did one-on-ones with you and then I, I went through your program and I, I think both are invaluable, but, um, you are booked out until like kingdom come. So nobody can even get in. But the, the program is just uh, gives access to so many more women. And um, I am going to be completely honest. Like I think that it is way underpriced. I mean, I'm so glad it's the price it is so that people can access it. But like my husband is also in healthcare. So I see what like prices are and everything. And I just think it's incredible that the price it is at for all of the education. And um, I can't recommend enough that that is your gift to yourself as you prepare for a pregnancy or you are pregnant. Um, please, like, Seriously, like if you have a baby shower, like get a fund me to like that will give you such a better labor. And I know, you know, people will save up and, um, you know, have a doula to have a better labor. You guys, I truly think that this is just as important because, um, everything that I learned for labor, I, I taught my husband and I'd be like, write this down and print this in your mind because in labor, I'm just focusing on relaxing and like creating that safe space. And I need you to remember these cues to be like, Hey, remember Angie told you to do this at this part of your labor. Angie told you to do this. And so he would like give me those cues so that I could just stay, you know, calm and centered in that safe space. And I was like, you need to remember this. <laughs> so I just think that it's, it's so important. And then as you go through the program, you take, you can take videos of your, of your uh, form and send it to uh, Dr. Angie and she will like, let you know if you can do this better or whatever, because that's important. So let, let's yeah. talk a little bit like, how do like how would they access this like what does it kind of entail um i i think people only ever think of pelvic floor therapy as i get referred by my ob so i see if my insurance covers it and then i go for like six visits because that's all my insurance covers so i think it is a little scary i'm going to come from the other side i think yeah. it's a little scary to be like oh this is out of pocket like why can't I go to my pelvic floor PT that is in insurance by my doctor? And I will just answer for you because you won't see the difference <laughs> in that. It makes such a big difference. Like you guys, I went that traditional route in terms of my pelvic floor care. And I've heard it from so many women. They're like, well, I was just told to do Kegels. And I was told to like do, you know, the be the belly breathing you know, when I would work out or not work out and to get into a deep squat. And I'm like, okay, well, there's so much more you can do. So even though I think it's scary to be like, this isn't an insurance, this is out of pocket, it is so worth that investment. So that was really yeah. off topic. So uh, let's jump into the program. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a, a note. Yeah. Let's talk about the program. A note about pelvic floor PT is uh, kind of like we just discussed our current Western insurance based medical model does not allow the practitioners to get as deep into your case and be as holistic as they need to be when they're working for a corporation that accepts insurance. Yeah. Period. That used to be me. And that's why I got out of that is because I was mm -hmm. unable to make a difference for my patients in that model. Yeah. Um, and then I was able, then when I went to, uh, you know, work for myself and not accept insurance, then I was able to like the world opened and I was able to provide this level of care that really changed. And then with, experience and lots of patience, I was then able to create this protocol that now you can access online independently. So yeah. let's dive into that now. So this, this protocol, 
um, has really four sections and each section, um, each part of, you know, the whole is just as important in the other. So it, um, Mm -hmm. if, if used individually, it's not going to produce as much of a result. Each of the, each of the pieces are really important, um, used in unison. So the first part is education. It's, absolutely critical that you understand your anatomy and how your body works, why it does what it does, and how to prevent injury. You, you need to know like what happens, what causes injury. And if you're yeah. currently experiencing symptoms, why do I have these symptoms? How did I get them? That is key. Identifying the problem once you can identify the problem and like be aware of why it's there and where it came from, mm-hmm. you're like half, you're halfway there to fixing it. It that's, mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. You have to know what the problem is. Um, second section is the therapy technique section. So this is where I go into great detail about organ positioning, how to position your organs, through posture, your daily posture, through breathing, how you breathe all day, and through an abdominal massage. I also go into great detail about how to make your pelvis and your spine and your abdomen more symmetrical to support centered organs through trigger point release and stretching. Mm -hmm. Then... um, the, the third section is hypopressive training. And so this is, the, this is the breath training that we've touched on quite a bit in this podcast today that um, creates this really incredible reflexive activation of your entire core as it lifts your organs, as it tightens and strengthens your internal fascia, as well as your external fascia. So internal fascia is the ligaments that support your uterus, the ligaments and fascial planes that connect your uterus to your bowel, to your bladder, to your spine, to your pelvic floor, to your diaphragm, all the way to your rib cage, all the way up to your head. So it works on all the fascial chains in the body that connects everything. Mm-hmm. And then it it tones and strengthens your pelvic floor, your abdominal, and your spinal muscles um, mm-hmm. in an incredibly, like, I'm always in awe about the visible changes I see, like, in a single session of working with somebody. And yeah. um, even, even when I'm not one-on-one with people, <clears throat> it's a patient who's currently doing the online program, and we're not even doing one-on-one sessions, um, I, I love... I love still engaging with the the clients who are doing my online program. I really encourage them to email me and um, keep me posted on progress. So I often hear that just like after their first day of doing the breathing exercises or the mirror drills, um, they notice a visible change in their belly. And mm-hmm. it's, it's because we're working within the involuntary nervous system. So, Working in the voluntary nervous system, changes actually happen a little slower. And mm-hmm. But when you're in the involuntary nervous system and you're eliciting reflexes, things happen like incredibly quick because we're bypassing yeah. like the really the, the frontal like cortex of our brain. We're bypassing like the area that where we get stuck in thought. And yeah. we're just, um, we're just like within our like kind of instinctive reflexive nature. So changes like happen really quickly there. Um, so that's the hypopressive training creates that organ lifting, reflexive core activation, fascial tightening and decompression. It, it really opens up the spine and can be incredibly relieving for all sorts of spine conditions, tailbone pain, pubic bone mm-hmm. pain. Um, and then the, the and then it's also really amazing for that stress regulation like we talked about um 
I don't address that face on head on or anything. Um, you know, that's not my specialty, but it's something that I consistently um, observe. And it's just such an amazing, beautiful thing that it, it is when you train, when you train breath work and you mm-hmm. really focus on the subconscious nervous system, an incredible bonus of that is your ability to withstand all types of stress, just increases. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Kind of like how when we improve the function of the core, your aesthetics in, improves. It's like this nice yeah. little bonus. We don't, we don't um, like enter the situation from that perspective, but it's like a cool bonus to observe. Helps regulate the nervous system. Yes, exactly. Um, and then the final section is glute strengthening. So healthy glutes, the glutes are a very important part of your core. Um, and the glutes are, you know, responsible for stabilizing your pelvis and making sure that you have symmetrical pelvic and spinal alignment, which of course impacts pelvic floor function, organ position, breath patterns, all of it. So, um, so those are the four sections, education, therapy techniques, hypopressive training, and glute strengthening. Um, So those are all um, instructed in like a specific order. So you just watch, you just go through the program like video by video in in this specific order and you you implement the entire protocol. Um, There's also a calendar section which which explains um, how to schedule you know, the all of the exercises in and how frequently and how often to do it. And what it really comes down to, if you execute the entire protocol, it comes down to 30 minutes a day, five days a week. And those 30 minutes can be broken up into like five or 10 minute increments to fit your day, which I actually highly recommend. I don't recommend just like doing everything at once in one little thing. It's kind of nice to just give yourself the flexibility and freedom to like have each day look slightly different and um, just get them in like where you can. That's especially important with it for moms. Um, so mm-hmm. this protocol was, was, was created actually when Maya was like, I started it when Maya was three months old, um, when my whole world was shifting. And I was like, whoa, I have like no time. So um, this was yeah. really created with like that um, in mind. And then mm-hmm. um, there's a resources section um, with just all of my favorite uh, therapy tools that can help kind of enhance things. Um, and also, you know, another note on the, on the calendar section, um, you know, 30 minutes a day, five days a week, broken up into whatever increments you want in each day. Now, life happens and we're like, oops, I didn't do it for two weeks or oops, I just I just don't, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, you don't have the time to get something in. That's okay. Even if you, you know, decrease that to Mm -hmm. 10 minutes a day, five days a week, 30 minutes a day, two days a week, like even if that looks different for you and is less you still are going to get amazing results. So that that the calendar section, it's like not hard and fast. It's like these techniques are mm-hmm. just, they're so powerful that even if you have a couple weeks where you decrease the time, or even if you choose to do a little bit less over a longer period of time, as long as you're, you know, kind of consistently coming back to it, um, the, the changes can still like occur in a really big way. And is there like a separate pregnancy section or is that in the hypopressive section? Yes. So the, um, the hypopressive training section now (laughs) includes a pregnancy section. So, um, the modification during pregnancy is you just eliminate one part of the breath cycle, which is the breath hold that's called apnea. Mm-hmm. And so now I have pregnancy specific instructions where you, you'll, you'll see me instructing a pregnant client and you can follow along with pregnancy specific um, exercise flows. Now the protocol is yeah. the same during pregnancy. 
So it's, Mm -hmm. it's the same. And, um, you know, if you buy the program, you can reach out to me and ask me questions about, um, you know, specific modifications for your case. And, and we can, we can absolutely address that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the same during pregnancy. There's just a slight modification during hypopressive training and you can follow along with that now, um, specifically see a pregnant client doing it. Which can be helpful. I think, cause like, I remember the first time this was before I went through your program. I was watching one of your videos on Instagram, which everybody should go, um, watch your videos on Instagram, but you were instructing somebody on an apnea. And let me tell you, well, I had no idea what an apnea was. And I'm watching this exercise going, I can never make my ribs do that. (laughs) And I just on my own was like trying to practice this. And I'm telling Seb, I'm like, I think I'm going to pass out. I cannot do apnea this way. Like watch her ribs. How does she even like move them? And it was just mind blowing for me to see that end result. Cause I know we see these videos on Instagram and we're like, oh my gosh, I can just follow that. And that's going to solve it. Let me tell you, I tried. It didn't work. I had to like go to like in the program, it was like the start with the mirror drill and then do the next exercise. And then And then I did apnea. I'm like, that's why it wasn't working before. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Yeah. Great, great point, Leah. Yep. Absolutely. It is um, the preparatory exercises for apnea and hypopressive training are absolutely critical to your success in in actually performing it correctly. So like, yeah, starting from the starting point, you have to kind of like build a certain level of awareness in your breathing and your core and your posture to then be able to get into that hollow belly mm-hmm. position. Yeah. And you learn all of that like very, very step by step in the, in the online program. And it's very, very doable once you do that. Cause I have so many, um, ladies who will reach out and they're like, I can't make my stomach look like that. And I'm like, yeah, neither could I. But if you start with step one, <laughs> you will get to step 10 eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, so important. So we're going to link your Instagram and we're going to link your my core recovery program, which um, we have a discount code for you guys. It's, I don't even know what it is. It's either Leah or Leah 10 yep. or something it's along Leah those 10. lines. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, and you guys, I don't get kickback from this. Like I truly just, everybody, everybody needs to do this program. Um, I, I just think if there's one, well, you should also test your minerals during pregnancy, but if you're going to do one physical gift to yourself, please let it be this. Um, And you can do this if you're not pregnant. I think every woman should. But I just seeing the massive, massive, massive difference in my pregnancy, my labor, and my postpartum, um, I truly just think that, you know, it. I don't know. I mean, if you you aren't having troubles walking and sitting up and you're not in extreme, you know, pain, it it makes for a much better postpartum recovery. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So highly recommend. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Balancing Hormones Naturally. If you found this helpful, I would love for you to share it with a friend and post it on your stories and tag Balancing Hormones Naturally podcast so we can get this message out. You can find me on Instagram at Leah underscore B-R-U-E-G and I would absolutely love to hear from you.